God, thanks for the way that you've always loved us, uh, even when there's change, even when there's hard times. I pray that you would uh, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts just to receive your word today. I pray that you'd speak through Michael, uh, that his words would not be his own. In Jesus' name, amen. We will be in Genesis chapter 45 and 46 this morning. If you need a bulletin, there is an outline there. Linda has some bulletins. She'd be happy to give you one. If you need one, you'd raise your hand and you can follow along there. Genesis 45 will begin in verse 16. There are times when I look around and everything on the outside appears to be okay. Maybe not even okay, actually good. You know, feel blessed that things are going well. Um, you know, there's money in the bank and everybody's healthy and got friends that are encouraging and it seems that everything is just going well. And yet, at times... I have, I know people that have, that in the midst of all that goodness, there's just this underlying anxiety, underlying fear that maybe things aren't as good as I think they are, or I'm just not sure what's around the corner. It seems like everything's fine. It seems like all is well, and I should be happy, and I should be joyful because, well, that's when you look at my life, I'm just blessed. But, you know, I think that the path I'm on could be something different than what I might hope it would be. And so I look out in the future and I'm just not sure it's, it's what I hope it will be or what I think it should be or what I'm convinced that it's supposed to be. And so there's this kind of underlying fear. No one knows about it. No one's aware of it because, you know, things are good and I can smile and we can talk about all the good things, but underneath there's tension. Maybe not horrible, maybe not overwhelming, maybe not paralyzing, just annoying, faith-robbing. It doesn't allow me to experience the fullness of joy that, that I probably should or probably could, knowing all the good things that are, that are going on. See, Jacob had everything going for him. We, we are really in the life of Joseph, but you know we talk more about his family than we do him in this, in this series, and that's okay. But Jacob really did have everything going for him. I'm going to read some verses. I just want you to listen to the goodness. Listen to all that's well and all that's good that's happening, beginning in verse 16. And now when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your beasts and go to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat of the fat of the land. Now your order, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Do not concern yourselves with your, with your goods. For the best of the land of Egypt is yours. 
Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the journey. Then they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan, to their father Jacob. They told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and indeed he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. But he was stunned and didn't believe them. When they told him all the words of Joseph that he had spoken to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Provision and blessing and and realization that this son that he thought has been dead for 23 years, that he's grieved over for 23 years, he's alive. Maybe the best day ever for Jacob. In addition, we read in 46 this, this huge list of family that he has, sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters that are all going to move with him. And Pharaoh has sent word, I'll supply everything you need. You don't even need to pack up the kitchen, basically is what he says. Right? When you show up, I'll give you all that you need, including vessels to cook with. Don't worry about it. You're set. And so Jacob sets off. Everything seemingly in order, everything seemingly good, the best of the land, a reunion that he sees with his son. And then we read these words in chapter 46. So Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes to see the truth of who you are and what you've done for us. May we honor you um, by our actions and by our response. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Before he leaves, he stops. So I'm going to worship. Before I leave town, before I leave the promised land, before I leave the place you give me, I'm going to stop and worship. And I can't help but wonder if he's thinking back many, many years before, 40, maybe 50 years earlier when he left the promised land another time. That time he was fleeing from Esau. And he stopped and he worshiped and God appeared to him and made promises to him. And he named that place Bethel, the house of God. And if you remember from a year and a half ago when we talked about the life of Jacob, that that Jacob really thought this was where God dwelt. And Jacob really thought, when I'm leaving the promised land, I'm leaving God behind. And I don't know if those thoughts came back into his mind. He, He learned a lot over the course of the last 40 or 50 years. But that same idea of I'm I'm leaving behind what God had promised would be mine. He had promised me land. 
He had promised me descendants. And He had promised me blessing. And here I am taking... I mean, He promised me a nation. Look, I've got 70. I mean, that's a small clan. I mean, we could, we could have a little... You know, our own little city-state going here. If we just stayed in the land and got a little bigger, all of God's promises would come true and now we're leaving. Has God changed His mind? Have, have I done something wrong? Is all this worrying over Joseph, has he, has he just changed His mind and is going to do something else? And God says... Jacob, don't be afraid. See, you couldn't tell from the first few verses that there was any fear in Jacob's mind at all, but when God shows up, Jacob, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. And I'm sure Jacob's wondering, but why not? I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you promised God that this is the place where we're supposed to be. And now you're moving us lock, stock, and barrel to this strange place that we don't know. And you know what happens when you move, right? How many of you have ever moved before? <laughs> right? You leave something behind. And you don't always get to ever go back. And there's memories and sometimes those are good, but you move on. You do something different. And I can't help wondering if that was in Jacob's mind and God says, Jacob, don't be afraid. And then he gives him three reasons not to be afraid. He says at the end of verse 3, Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. See, all along, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, there's been this promise that God was going to make the descendants of Abraham into a great nation. And so he reiterates that promise. I will make you a great nation. Now it's different. It says there. And, and we wonder, and maybe Jacob's wondering, why not here? <laughs> What's happened? You promised us this land. Now you're going to make us a great nation somewhere else. And I don't know if he, he buys that or not, but, but one of the things God is speaking to him is, don't be afraid because I'm still doing what I promised I would do. I'm a God who keeps His promises. And one of those promises is, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm, it looks like things are changing, but they're not. I'm going to keep my promises to you. We look at our own lives and, and we think that God has us on a path and then all of a sudden things, things detour. We've made a few detours in our life over the last 10, 15 years. And you wonder, God, are you, you know, you, I feel like, God, you promised that you would use us as a family to minister to people, but then he, he, He'll move us to a new place. And you wonder, what does that look like? And all that time He's preparing us, doing something in us, and then lo and behold, we end up here. And you go, oh, now I see that that move back in 2001 that really didn't make a lot of sense to us. We packed up and moved away from a wonderful church and from a lot of wonderful friends and from a lot of wonderful ministry to kind of start over in a little town where I grew up. Um, that didn't make a lot of sense to us, but we felt like it's what God wanted us to do, so we, we obeyed. And then 
that led us somewhere else, and we see God's handprints of that, but at the time it was, God, what are you doing? And is this going to fail? <laughs> are we going to look silly? You've called us to something that we don't understand, and, and are we going to look back and is someone going to say, well, that was a waste of time? And if we've learned nothing else from our time in Genesis over the last two years as we've in and out of Genesis, is that God keeps His promises. Regardless of the way we behave, regardless of the way others behave, regardless of how we really louse things up by our actions, by our sin, God keeps His promises. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't consequences. We've seen that. Jacob had lots of negative consequences. He's still reaping the benefits of those. You know, 40 years later. But you can't thwart God. And the good news is, is that God wants to use every single one of you in this room for His glory. And He promises that when we trust Him, He sends us His Spirit to equip us and encourage us and challenge us and put us in places where we can minister to others. So the first reason Jacob should not be afraid is that God keeps His promises. The second reason that Jacob shouldn't be afraid is that God remains present. Look at verse 4. I will go down with you to Egypt. Wait, so you're not just the God of the promised land. No, <laughs> I'm going to go with you. You're not just localized here where I offer sacrifices. No, I'm... I'm going to go with you, Jacob. I'm going to be present with you. I don't know about you, but that's awfully encouraging to me that, that while I love this building because of who sits in it every week, and while I sense that, that God is present with us as I look out in this room and as we worship and as we look at His words, we pray together, I'm really glad that this is not the only place that I get to experience God. That I can walk out the doors and He's there. That I can drive down the road and He's there. That I can actually, you know, cross the county line and He's there. And not just there where I am physically, but there where I am emotionally. That it can be a, a, a no good, very bad, rotten day. And God is there. That I can so royally mess up things by my sin and my selfishness and yet turn to Him in repentance and God is there. If anybody had the ability to, to run God off, we, we might think it would be Jacob. His scheming and conniving and doubt and wallowing in self-pity Surely, God's not going to put up with that any longer. And yet, as Jacob is fixing to take this fearful step across the borders of the promised land, God says, I'm going to go with you to Egypt. So He keeps His promises, and His presence remains with us. But wait, God... Um, what about 
I'm going to inherit the land. What about that? You're, you're moving us lock, stock, and barrel to a new place. We've packed up everything, loaded it on wagons, and now we're leaving. The end of verse 4 says, I will surely bring you up again. See, God can restore things that even are seemingly going wrong. Now, if you've read ahead, you know that God does bring him up again. But never alive. See, Jacob is leaving the promised land and he will never see it again. And we think, well, that's harsh. <laughs> I mean, is, is God sort of playing tricks on us here? I will bring you up again, Jacob. And he does that really in two. Yes, he brings his dead body back up again. Jacob is buried in the promised land. Not too many chapters from now. But he also brings Jacob up. Remember, Jacob is renamed... Israel before this. He, he brings him up as a people. He, he brings him up as a nation. Not just 70, but a whole multitude of people he brings back up. In his own timing and in his own way. And what's frustrating and what tempts us to still go, yeah, but God, that's not fair, is that when God fixes what seems to be wrong, He usually fixes it, well, He always fixes it in, in His way, and that's not necessarily the way we want it to be fixed. I can imagine that, that Jacob hoped to see the promised land again. Now, he, he says otherwise, but I imagine that, that he sort of wondered what that would look like. And he doesn't. And I know sometimes in my life, and I know sometimes in your life, you think this is not the way it's supposed to go. It's not supposed to hurt. It's not supposed to be painful. I'm not supposed to lose. Right? God is the God of giving. He's the God of blessing. I'm not supposed to lose. And, and I look at this story, and it sort of seems like Jacob loses in one sense. But we have to remember that, that God fixes things according to His purpose and His plan and His glory. And that's not always the way we want things to go. But it was best for His people. And we're going to see that next week. Why it was best for His people that they spend time in Egypt. That they remain there. There was a purpose. There was a reason that was beneficial to them that at that point in time, they probably couldn't see, probably didn't understand, probably questioned and scratched their head. God, what are you doing? But Jacob, you don't need to be afraid because I always keep my promises. I will always be with you and I can fix even this. Even this. And I step back and I think, okay, now, who's listening to this story? Moses wrote, I mean, they passed this story down from generation to generation, but Moses wrote this, and I don't know when they heard it for the first time, that those folks, that generation that belonged to Moses. 
When did he read them the whole story that he'd written down and remind them? 400 years later, as they were preparing to go back into the promised land, as a nation, as a multitude of people, would those few verses not be a reminder and encouragement? Oh, God does keep His promises. Even though we may have thought God wasn't with us, He really has been all this time molding and shaping a nation for His glory. And look, we're back. Look, we're home. We're in that place that God promised He would give us. And they were the beneficiaries of of several generations who probably scratched their head going, can we still believe? I know God promised, but it seems like it's been a long time. Do we really believe that we'll inherit the land? And we sit and we wait. I saw several times this week um, as the events of the week unfolded in Boston and in Texas and in China and last couple of days ago in Colorado, People saying, Lord, how long? Saw that phrase several times. Lord, how long? We wait. Like Jacob, like his descendants, we wait. And what we have to do as God's people is is keep reminding ourselves that, yes, God is faithful. And He has made a promise. He is coming back. He will return and gather us together as His own people. And ultimately, whether it's before we die or afterwards, we will be like Him for we will see Him as He is. And that's good news for us. In verse 30, when Jacob shows up, then Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face that you are still alive. There's this wonderful reunion And Jacob seems to be content. (laughs) This appearance by God has done something to him and he no longer says, okay, pack up your stuff, son, we're going back. I don't know what God meant by I'm going to bring you back, but I'm, I'm content. My family's together. I trust God. God, you can do with me whatever you want. I'm ready to die. A sign of faithfulness. But in the meantime, it's difficult. And so I want to leave you with the idea that when it becomes difficult, and we're waiting on God's promises, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. See, Jesus not only knew God's promises, He was God's promise to the world. Jesus not only knew God's presence, He was God's presence the world. Jesus not only knew that God could fix those things that went wrong, He was the one that fixed it all on the cross. He was the one that restored everything that had gone wrong. And in the midst of when we suffer hardship, when we suffer trials, when we suffer difficulties, let us look to Him and remember that the one who was God's promise and God's presence and the restorer of all things wasn't immune from difficult circumstances. 
He wasn't immune from hardship. He wasn't immune from trials. He wasn't immune from death. And so we follow Him, our Savior, the one who was the perfect example of what it means to walk in faith. In the midst of a world that seeks to discourage us and keep us from walking in faith. God keeps His promises. God will be present with you and with us as a body. And regardless of how things seem in the moment, God restores things to the way He wants them to be, which is the perfect way. And so as God's people, as people of faith, as we walk out these doors today, let us walk in faith, trusting and believing that He is good and that He is sovereign. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for your goodness to us and your grace and your love and your mercy. God, thank you for your presence, for the gift of your Holy Spirit that touches our lives, reminds us that we are your sons and your daughters. Thank you for blessing us as you blessed Abraham and his descendants after him with the promise of a Redeemer. And thank you that we have been able, through your Son, to experience that Redeemer. God, we love you, and we ask that you would use us for your glory, whatever that looks like. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?